convince me that God is real. Give me the facts. Give me the information, the scientific theory or whatever. And it, it just doesn't work that way. Welcome to the Soma Podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Paul. Now that we've deconstructed our evangelical beliefs, we're trying to find a way forward to hold on to Christian faith and community in a post-Christian culture. We should start by saying this is a remote session or something to that effect. We're, we're um, under the current COVID code um, red, and um, because of that, you're not in, we're not in the same location, and we're attempting to do this via the internet, which may sound a little different. Yes, we're, this is a bit of an experimental episode, I would say, Mark, on two fronts. One is, yes, I, I, we've never done remote podcasting before, so hopefully we can make this work and the, the viewer is not too distracted by the difference. Uh, and then I guess the other one is we're kind of experimenting with a different type of po- uh, podcast episode, uh, maybe a bit of a, a series of episodes where we focus on a particular passage. Yeah, so we were going to talk today about John 9, which we have refer- referenced previously in um, at least one episode where we talked about the man who was blind at birth and then was healed by Jesus and then the repercussions of, of being healed. Yeah, it's it's interesting because we, we both have referenced John 9 in different podcasts. Uh, I talked about it a little bit in our podcast on suffering. Uh, where I where I referenced the um, the whole debate was this man born blind um, because of his sin or his parents' sin, and then the next episode you referenced it. And I don't even think we planned it um, where you talked about uh, where the blind see and those who are who see are made blind. Um, and so we both kind of referenced this passage, um, and it's also a really good um, example of what we talked about in the Bible episode where we say where we talked about approaching the Bible uh, with a legalistic mindset, and we actually see that exact thing kind of happen in this story. So I think this is a really great first stab, a good passage to sort of, you know, um, go through the nitty-gritty of a specific passage. I think you said this in our last episode, Mark, where a lot of our episodes are topical and we kind of uh, distill the main themes, but we, right, you know, right. you, you, you encourage people to get into the nitty gritty of the passage, read it, get in there. Um, and so I thought, well, we both thought maybe we should just model that. We should just do something like that. And, and also because in our, in our house group or house church, when we do meet very often, we don't have a set to- topic, but a lot of times mm-hmm. we do something called Lectio Divina which um, basically just means divine reading. And, it, and it's a form of scripture reading, which, um, you know, it's often done by yourself, but where people just read the scripture, not so much cognitively to study all the background and, and all of the, you know, the nitty gritty right. of it so much, but, but to see how it hits them personally. And it's a re- kind of a reflective reading. And we've, we've done Lectio Divina, where we'll read a passage three times, and each time we'll ask a different question. So the first time we might ask, you know, just initially what stood out to you. So ev- everyone in a, in a house group can listen to a common passage in scripture and something almost every time will stand out to them. It might be the word light or it might be God cares or who, you know, whatever it is, you know. And then we'll just go around and get people to share what it is stood out in that passage. And then w- often we'll do it, we'll allow some time for thinking and reflection and we might read it again, and we'll say, so how does it relate to your life now? And so it's the same, you know, people that have a chance to share, well, I heard this phrase, and here's how I'm thinking it connects with me. And sometimes we'll even read it a third time, 
and it works best if it's not too long, but we'll, you know, we'll in that process, give people a chance. Is there some way that you're being asked to respond? And the great thing about this method or this approach is nobody has to be, you know, super prepared. You just need a facilitator. You're letting the scripture do the work. You're giving people time to uh, reflect, to convey their own experiences. And, and every time we've done it, good discussion has come out of it. And then the, whoever's facilitating can have a few notes on the side and, and can um, bring some extras out as well. Um, so it's going to be difficult to really facilitate that in a two-person um, podcast. But we just wanted to acknowledge that that's one of the things that we do. And perhaps even um, the reading, we're going to do a short reading now, and that might even be something you could just play it in in a house group and someone could press, you know, play on their on their iPod or whatever, um, and everyone could listen, and it can can be an opportunity to reflect on that scripture. Actually, I like that idea, Mark. Uh, maybe people could do electo divina if they do meet with their friends um, with John nine. L- like like you said, we <laughs> I guess people wonder probably what we do at our soma gatherings. We certainly do not. People do not sit around and listen to Paul and Mark talk like we do on a podcast. Uh, we uh, will will use this approach often, in, uh, and I lo- what I love about it is like what you say. It's just you give room for people to listen to the passage and kind of see what stands out to them, uh, and everyone participates. A podcast isn't a great probably a platform to model this, so we're not going to do it here, but um, I think it's a great idea about maybe people could do their own Electo Divina of John 9, and then and then maybe if, if you kind of run out of steam, you could play this episode as a follow-up or something. It could be a backup plan or, you know, people are often intimidated with leading a Bible study, you know, so um, this, the, just reading the text can often do a lot of the work and just have two or three basic questions prepared, you know, what did you hear, you know, how, you know, how do you relate to that, you know, give people a chance to input their experience can be a great way to just get a discussion going. And then, you know, the, if you have a few notes on the site, it doesn't hurt. Um, and, and so we're going to talk about this passage tonight. It could be an opportunity for someone to, um, to use that as a springboard for their own thinking, their own approach to how they would bring this to a group. Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and read it because I think it'd make sense for us to do that. Uh, it's a bit long, um, kind of what we said in our last po- podcast about John. John. John takes a lot longer to tell these stories. I think, I think Mark or Luke could do this in uh, 20 or 10 verses. John takes about 40. So we'll get right into it. We'll read the passage, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Sounds good. So John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither he nor his parents sinned. It is so that the works of God might be made visible through him. We have to do the works of the one who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva and smeared the clay on his eyes and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed, and he came back able to see. His neighbors and those who had seen him earlier as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is, but others said, No, it just just looks like him. He said, I am. 
So they said to him, so how are your eyes opened? He replied, the man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and told me, go to Salome and wash. So I went there and washed and I was able to see. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I I don't know. They brought the one who was once blind to the Pharisees. Now Jesus had made clay and opened up his eyes on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees, when they also asked him how he was able to see, he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and now I can see. So some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinful man do such things? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, uh, what do you have to say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. Now the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and gained his sight until they summoned his parents of the one who had gained his sight. And they asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How does he now see? And his parents answered and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. Uh, We do not know how he sees now, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He can speak for himself. His parents said, They said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone acknowledged him as the Messiah, he would be expelled from the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So a second time they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, give God the praise. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, if he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know is that I was blind and now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Oh, do you want to become his disciples too? And they ridiculed him and said, you are that man's disciple. We are the disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, and we do not know where this one is from. And the man answered and said to him, this is what is so amazing, that you do not know where he is from. Yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if one is devout and does his will, he listens to him. It is unheard that anyone ever opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he would not be able to do anything. They answered and said to them, to him, you were born totally in sin, and you're trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. And when Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, he found him and said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, I do believe, Lord, and he worshipped him. Then Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see might see, and those who do see might become blind. So some of the Pharisees who were with him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not also blind, are we? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. And now you're saying we see, so your sin remains. It's definitely, yeah, that does uh, feel quite long in that that story. There's a lot going on in there. It kind of reads like a a comedy to me. Like with comedies, it's like people are missing the point, and it's like there's lots of repetition. It's like this guy has to tell his story so many times because the Pharisees are so hell-bent on discrediting Jesus that they're not even, they're missing the whole point of the man that, that, that he, you know, the story that he was, 
the, the miracle that he was born blind and now that he can see and they miss the point and they're so focused on on like, does this guy believe in Jesus? You're not supposed to believe in Jesus. It just, I don't know, it just, it just seems funny. And at some point the guy's like, really? Like, honestly? This is amazing. Excuse me. I, I was blind here and now I see. You know what I mean? That's what I mean by kind of reads like a comedy. Well, I mean, even the guy himself doesn't fully understand who Jesus is or how, how it's happened, but he has a different mindset. And the, the, the word that comes to me is mindset. You know, it's, there's a lot going on in here. The uh, Pharisees or the religious leaders have a mindset that stops them from uh, believing or accepting the miracle that's happened. And, you know, they want to cast judgment on his parents. It says at one point they want to put him out of the synagogue. So there's a religious system that they're in charge of, and Jesus doesn't fit into their system, and yet he's doing something that is uh, only God should be able to do. And, um, and they, you know, they certainly don't see Jesus as God, but they, they, they want to find a way to discredit him. And, and the thing that they, they emphasize is he's healing him on the Sabbath, which is, you know, their set of rules is you, you don't work on the Sabbath. So Jesus is essentially working by healing this man on a Sabbath. And, and that they're hung up on that, on that uh, that he's broken that rule. Um, the man himself, he, he just kind of seems along for the ride in many ways, you know. Um, but it is obvious at the end of the story that he's, he's willing and wanting to, um, you know, accept Jesus and, and, and season him, um, the, the authority after he's been healed. Even his parents reluctantly seem to be, um, you know, they, they seem to want to stay out of the political aspect of it. Um, they, they're worried, basically, because these guys are, you know, have authority in, in that cultural system. And so they're trying to say, you know, why don't you ask our son? He's of age. He's old enough to answer for himself, which is a little bit of a sidestep on their yeah, part. Yeah, I think, I think that mindset is totally right. In fact, uh, their mind is set. Like, it's not just a mindset. Their mind is set. I, I kind of think about it like this is a good example, the story of that legalistic kind of uh, mindset or, or ideology, right? And that's one of the characteristics of a legalistic ideology is that your mind is set. Nothing is going to change it right? Not even a miracle is going to change it. They, they had their mindset that Jesus was not from God. Uh, the passage, the, the chapter just before this is when he actually reveals himself with using the name I am, which is the, the Hebrew Yahweh, the name Yahweh that God um, revealed himself to Moses. And they keep saying, we're like disciples of Moses and we're disciples of the law. And it was, it was actually in John chapter 8 where Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to stone him because that was a blasphemous thing to, to do. He was saying that he was God and uh, that he was Yahweh in particular. And so that right off the sort of heels of that, there's this story of the blind man. So they have set, their mind is set. Like Jesus is, they, is not from God. They're not accepting who he claims to be. And when you don't want to see something, you will never see it, right? Like nothing will convince you. It's this willful blindness. And you can tell there's this great miracle and nothing is going to change their mind. But I, I think blindness or, or, you know, spiritual blindness is the underlying theme of much of the passage, right? Yeah. And, and it's even a little bit, um, you know, at the end, it's like some are going to be blind and some are going to see. And so um, I think that's an important point to make is that it's not about information. So people often think, you know, convince me that God is real, 
give me the facts, give me the information, the scientific theory or whatever. And it, it just doesn't work that way. And human beings don't work that way. Human beings have mindsets. They're able to see certain things that other things they are not able to see. And we all come from limited perspective. And, um, and I think that it's not about having the right set of information. Even here we have a miracle and their mindset stops them from, um, understanding it stops them from giving god the credit the glory um and, and that's that's the way it is it's like jesus is in a sense when when he does something there is no neutral position you either understand it or you don't and that's a little bit of the challenge that people have sometimes with jesus they just want it to be something that they could just sit back and um you know Give, give me the facts and then I'll choose whether I believe it or not. But it's really, it's your mindset and it's, are you able to see what God is doing? That's inherent in this story that is a spiritual challenge, I think, for all of us. I think a lot of times that blindness is is related to, you know, this fixation on trying to be right um, or absolute having absolute certainty, right? Um, and... Uh, it, this kind of gets back to your mind. You know, your mind is set. It's it's. I I I've, I've told people recently, like, where's that? Where's faith if you're a hundred percent certain, right? Um, and uh, I, in a way, I I feel like that's such an it's it's a very arrogant position to hold. It, it reminds me a lot when I was younger, um, and I was very very. Uh, I had more of a legalistic mindset. I was absolutely certain about everything I believed. And it was really important that the people around me believed what I believed. And I had really close friends uh, in the church who um, I, I remember one time having this huge fight about a number of theological points. And it was really important to me that they believed what, what was sort of typical and standard, you know, sort of orthodox. And I was really worried that they were a part of a cult. Uh, I, I was really worried about their souls, and the reason why was because they were part of a church that had some um, some ties to uh, to Europe, and in, in Europe, in this particular church they were tied to, they were questioning things like what we brought up in our second episode, like, the, is, does eternal hell and, and torment really, is that what the Bible really teaches? And they were talking and asking about the things like the inerrancy of Scripture, like when, when God told people to commit violence, was that really... God saying that, or was it was it the way the people saw things? And I remember back then, this was in the late '80s. Mark, they would they were talking about this, and I literally dis- decided that they were you know they were heretics and they were in danger of really falling away. And I had massive you know uh, fights with them about these theological points. And now you know years later, I come to the same kind of questions, and I feel kind of bad. I mean, maybe some of those old friends are listening. I don't, I don't know, but I, I, I want to just say sorry. Sorry I was so hard on you, and I was so uh, dogmatic, but it kind of felt like this Pharisee, you know, just just so set in my ways. Yeah, one of the dangers of, I think, uh, you know, there is a danger in reading sometimes too much Bible too fast and not understanding it is you can turn it into, um, you know, a law or a set of things that are have you either believe or the right things or the, or you, or you don't get it right and and the key to me though is what is the source of our rightness or or righteousness to use um you know the traditional word and i think that when part of what god does if you connect with god is it removes that need from you to to be made you know to, for your own behavior so your works you know, your own ability to um, 
just show how how good you are. I know there's a scripture where in Luke 18, I think it is, it talks about um, you know the tax collector and the Pharisee, and the tax collector looks up to heaven and, and essentially um, you know beats his breast because he doesn't feel righteous. Whereas the the Pharisee looks at the tax collector and says, "Oh, you know, thank you that I'm not like the tax collector." So he feels that he is somehow right, you know. And so it's that 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 mindset or that internal sense of um, that I'm okay. When we get that from God, it short circuits our need to get it from other people, from our behaviors, from our works, and and so on. I'm not saying don't do right things, don't try to be good. Don't. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying those things don't make you acceptable to God, and that's that's the little short circuit that can happen sometimes. Is people think, well, I went to church, I read my Bible, I I give money, I I know all the right answers, so therefore I must be right. But there has been no mindset change, no internal change. It's just you just know some facts about God. You haven't had a transformation that's happened inside of you. That's what needs to happen for you to um, begin drawing, you know, your connection with God rather than the world around you, your behavior, your performance. Yeah, I think it, it seems like at the core, people want to be right or righteous, right? self-righteous maybe is the word, I don't know, pious, they want to be validated. And uh, it kind of speaks to what you're saying. Um, With God, at least the Christian message is you already belong. Like, I already accept you before you do another thing. It kind of reminds me of what that one time God spoke to you about that person on the street and, and God saying, this is my beloved son. It's like, you don't have to earn that place. You don't have to do all these things to have that identity. You already have it, uh, which is a total mind shift, right? Like it is, it is upside down. It's completely different. You can see that with these Pharisees in the story because it, it gets back to that identity, identity issue you bring up a lot, Mark. It's, it's like we're children of Abraham, they claim. And they, they say another pl- spot, we're the disciples of Moses. Um, and they really wanted to um, sort of this core core desire was this is who we are. This is w- what we believe. Uh, and if you want to be with us, you have to talk like us. You have to believe like us. And we're telling you, this Jesus guy, he's not the one. You don't want to believe in him. And so if you do, I mean, they even used that fear tactic with his parents, right? They were totally afraid to, to speak their mind because if they were to at all say anything positive about Jesus, they could be put out of the synagogue. So it was like this in and out type of thing. You're either with us or you're against us. You know, we've talked about this before, but this isn't just a religious legalistic ideology. This I see this legalistic ideology type of um, display in, in most people, in a lot of people, and, um, you know, identity politics, and we see it everywhere. I think right now, during the pandemic, it's coming out like crazy everywhere. There, there's, you know, there's rule keepers everywhere who are just intent on keeping the rules, you know. And, and I understand, we, you know, we need to be wise about, you know, we're not meeting today because we're honoring the, um, you know, the request to not meet. Um, so we're, we're not being foolish. But at the same time, there are just little battles I've seen going on where people just, it's not enough to just wear the mask. You've got to wear the mask. You know, you, you know people take, take it, the law of it and the rule of it, and they try to impose it on other people. And I think at heart, it's a, it's a desire for control. That, and I think it's going on right now in our culture at a, at a, at a massive level. Um, you know, if you've ever had a sibling, 
and you, you know your sibling when you when your mom or dad's not looking your sibling punches you and you're like mom i just got punched you know and mom says you know i didn't see it you know I, I'm, I'm obviously just making a joke out of it and and there can be these grievances between siblings right one feels like they didn't you know their mom's not being fair because they're not paying attention to me getting punched or or my sister stealing my lunch or whatever you know there's there's um different relationships that we have and grievances that get in the way of seeing what god could do and i think that we see that playing out right now in our culture there's there's a lot of grievances people are polarized into one of two camps and the question is which camp is the right camp one side's convinced of their rightness and so is the other side yeah um how does that get resolved, right? And there's a lot of grievance, a lot of things that are blinding people, stopping people from seeing, um, and you know, any uh, any goodness or righteousness in the other person. Yeah. I find just to use some connection to the passage here, I find it interesting that um, you know this man is going to have to give up begging, you know, which implies in that ancient culture would have been a full time job, you know, as it is perhaps for some people today, you know, he, it would have been a you know, not a great life, would have been a hard hand-to-mouth life. Um, but it was perhaps his identity, and it would, would have been set for him, you know. And so now he's been he'd healed, he can see. So he's on that journey away from this old, discard, perhaps discarded sense of identity to something more uh, more life-giving. And then the other thing, you know, th- what I find uh, fascinating in there is he, Jesus uses the mud and some spit to heal his eyes which speaks to in a sense a recreation right the original creation take the take some dirt and god breathed into the dirt and created um human beings and so in a sense jesus is doing a little mini recreation here on his eyes which is perhaps a clue um for what god wants to do he wants to um recreate us he wants to take us from being beggars and sitting at the side of the road with not much to do and giving us a new life and a new way to see that's really that's really cool, Mark. A couple of other kind of references in the passage, um, getting back to this difference between the, the blind man and, and the Pharisees who are questioning him. Um, I mentioned a little bit about um, using fear tactics with uh, with his parents and those who he, they said that anyone who would acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. It's almost like the original cancel culture happening right there. And that's a great comment. Yeah. So that is kind of another characteristic of legalistic ideology is that you really use fear to control other people. Um, another one would be you also demonize the other. I noticed that in the passage as well, right? It's so it's so interesting because Jesus started the passage by saying it wasn't his parents' sin or his sin, right? That's not the issue here. Uh, but yet at the end of the passage, the Pharisees call um, the blind man a sinner, you know, like, who are you to talk to us? You were born in sin. They, Jesus and the, and the Pharisees had very two different views of, of, um, of this blind man. They called Jesus a sinner, and they reviled, they reviled the blind man at one point when he said, hey, do you want to be his disciple too? So they already had these prejudices and biases. They had opinions about Jesus. They had opinions about the blind man that really just were, they were really just demonizing them. Um, uh, to just sort of justify again their their sort of religious and righteous position. Um, I know I, I don't want to harp on this too much. Um, you, we've already kind of brought up a little bit about our culture and feeling righteous and pious. But Mark, I mean, I have people in my Facebook network, and I, I see posts from uh, Trump supporters. I have friends who are Trump supporters. I have friends who are never Trumpers. 
Uh, I have friends who are conservative. I have friends who are liberal. And I see some of these same types of legalistic ideology characteristics, right? Like their mind cannot be changed. Uh, fear is used to sort of control others. We uh, demonize the others. I'm not saying that um, this is happening, you know, with all my friends, but I, I do say that you can be a Pharisee, and it doesn't matter whether you're on the right or the left. Um, if you can't be convinced... It, it, it's actually not about religion, I don't think. It, it, religion just maybe uh, is how it's been defined, and that's the history of it. But it's it's really it's about where you get your sense of rightness from. Yeah. Um, there's a great verse, Matthew 7, 5, you know, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of, your, out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And that's a huge, that's not just a little anecdote, that's a huge problem that we have in our culture right now. Um, you know, the question is, who's got what and whose eye and how much? It, it's often hard to tell, right? But there's certainly, I mean, in the last few weeks, just uh, like you saw, if I've seen on Facebook, so much vitriol and so much judgment and condemnation from one side or the other. And um, it, it's sometimes it's hard to know who is right. And I think ultimately God, does, God will decide who's right in, in the long run. Um, but but we we have a responsibility to check our mindset, to try to remove those grievances from our own thinking and our own sight. Um, if we are con- if we are condemning other people, we might have a blind spot that might indicate a blind spot for us. Uh, absolutely, I think that's a really, and I think that's kind of the point for me of this story, uh, is is for everyone and, and myself included to just be reflective of this, right? Like if you if you can't empathize with the other, if you can't see their perspective, if you can't listen to their story, and and without having some kind of agenda, without having to sort of force something, uh, you know, force this down a particular to a, a particular conclusion, uh, you may be behaving like a Pharisee, right? And and what I love about the blind man, what a contrast is just that the blind man is is like open, right? He's got no agenda to force. He's literally just, there's acceptance there. There's simplicity. He's like, this is, here's my experience. I don't know about all the things you're asking me about, but what I do know is I was blind and now I see, right? Uh, and he had, he was just open to just simple uh, um, conclusions like, well, what do you think of this man? Well, based on the evidence of what I see, he's a prophet. He can't be a sinner because how could a sinner do this thing? No one's ever done a thing like this before. And I just love how honest and practical. There's no agenda there. He's truly open-hearted to what what what's happening, what God's doing, and the experience that's going on there. He was also open to Jesus' direction, right? He let Jesus rub the mud in his eyes, and when Jesus sent him to the pool of Siloam, he went. And there's, you know, there's a lot coded in these stories, right? So the the fact that he had to be sent, I think that's often true for us. We need to be sent. God sends us into new workplaces. God sends us into new relationships, new experiences, so that we can experience um, our own eyes being open, right? So we need sometimes Jesus to intervene and send us. And the washing out with the water in the pool, it says it gushed forth. Is is in a, I would say is an allusion to what God's Spirit wants to do. So you have you know the meeting of the mud in the eyes and the the Spirit flush uh, coming out of the the spigot in the in the pool. It's it's again it's that recreation, right? So how do you get that? I think you are open to God sending you. You're open to um, God. Sp- 
giving you that new experience. Maybe it's experience in talking with someone who thinks very differently than you or has a very different experience than you can can be a way that you can get rid of some of that grievance, some of that bias, some of that mindset, and, and begin to see things differently. The Pharisees obviously were unable to do that. And, and I do think that there is, you know, it says that Christ came into the world. Um, some are going to see and some are not going to see. And I, I think that's actually a risk for some people because um, what God is up to in the world is is drawing some people to see and others are actually, I think, at times we're moving away from God and are seeing less and less and, and becoming more judgmental, more harsh. I mean, have you ever met someone who's just bitter and harsh? You know, you just get old sometimes and you just... I've seen people, I've met people who just seem judgmental, harsh, bitter, and they don't don't seem to have the ability to uh, respond with empathy and grace, you know. And I, the older I get, I hope I get better at responding with empathy and grace. And I've, I, for me, it's been my work um, as a teacher that has taught me such a variety of people and experiences and you know, the need to be flexible, the need to see that people are in all stages of being sent, all stages of responding and being healed. Yeah, that's awesome. I, th- I think that's the lesson of the blind man, uh, just being that open-hearted, um, um, flexible, um, and responsive, uh, not having an agenda to push, uh, and just responding honestly and um, and with authenticity and what I really thought was interesting about the story is that uh, it was a it was a journey for the blind man. Like it was, there was time that passed. Uh, often, again, in my evangelical background, belief is kind of the starting point, right? Like you, it's the entry. You have to believe these things to begin the journey. Uh, but with the uh, with this story, it was Jesus went and healed them, and the only thing he knew was his name. The, the blind man said, I don't, this guy named Jesus just healed me. Uh, and and the story plays out over time, over multiple, you know, interactions. And it wasn't until the end where he said, hey, do you, Jesus said to him, do you believe in um, in the Son of Man? And he's like, well, who is he? He said, well, the one speaking to you now is him. And he goes, I believe. Uh, so it's such a reverse order. Like believing it, believing wasn't the entry fee. It was the, it was the, actually the destination is where he finally got. But he was, but but, but the whole story sort of plays out in, in this journey sort of uh, format, and I really like that too. I, it's it's like w- there is there is uh, time to just experience Jesus. Maybe some of our listeners. Um, might experience something of Jesus, and you don't know what you believe, and you don't even know more much about Jesus. You know his name. That's about it. It doesn't mean that you can't respond to the very little experience you might have had, and that it can lead to a journey that takes you to a very surprising and wonderful end. I think that's often the normal way, right? You have an experience that changes your perspective, opens your heart, gives you a different, slightly different mindset, and what you do with that is will lead you to the next step. Um, and that's that's that act of being sent. So Jesus, you know, we hear this scripture, that's new information, but how you respond to it from your heart, um, in, in, you know, in a practical way in your life is that is that choice that you make to respond, to be to be part of, of allowing God to send you. And, and I, th- I do think that God wants to heal people, not just their, uh, you know, physical eyes, but emotional healing, grievances, hurts. 
um, you know, disappointment. All of these things can also be healed, and God wants to recreate in people. Um, you know, it says in in the Old Testament, a, a new heart. God wants to take away a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and that speaks of a, even a deeper internal change that can happen through switching that switch from trying to be right yourself, trying to be perfect, trying to do everything right to taking a deep breath and letting it come from God. For sure. I think the last thing I'd like to say, Mark, is I, I want to be the blind man. I mean, I don't want to be blind, but you know what I mean? <laughs> I want to be the blind man in the story, not not the Pharisees. I, I was the Pharisee for a, quite a while. And I want to encourage the listeners uh, to really be the blind man and not the Pharisee. Um, if you, um, you know, it could even be at times where you have to let go of all the certainty uh, that you're trying to hold on to, the feeling of trying to be validated, the feeling of trying to be right, just to let it go uh, and come to a place of simplicity. You know, Mark, I don't know if I ever want to be 100% certain ever again. You know, it did not lead me to the right spot, uh, but to be open-hearted and open-handed. And even if that means questioning, uh, you're, you're facing your doubts and, and asking the hard questions and even seeing the, the criticisms of Christianity. Like, that's almost the ultimate step of faith. You're stepping off a cliff because you're saying, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this step, and if there is a God, and if this God loves me, and I'm going to be open-hearted about it, I'm going to have to trust that step. And that, that trusting sort of life of taking steps and seeing where it goes, that's the way I want to live the rest of my life. Yeah, that's, that's good. And I think that trust... Trust is a code word for, I would say, for flipping the switch, right? Uh, we have a lot of preoccupation in our culture with being cool. And cool is essentially cultural righteousness. Like, you're cool if you have the right clothes, the right music, the right attitude. And that gives you a, you know, a justification, you're, you know, to use a kind of a, um, a Bible word. So you get justified because you, you become cool to the group. Uh, you know, you accept a certain identity. But... Trusting God means you're willing to move away from that, whatever validation you get from other people, and you're seeking that validation from God. You know, the Pharisees say one thing to him. He says he's steeped in sin from birth, which to them is they believe they're not steeped in sin. And that guy may have done a lot of things in his life, and there may be people listening who have sinned and done different things that they're not proud of. But that doesn't stop you. That's not a barrier to coming to God if you are willing and have the humility to just, you know, accept, accept Christ and respond to Christ. Those, those things don't stop you. Whatever problems this man had were not an obstacle to Jesus um, doing that miracle in his life. So, folks, that's John 9. That's just us sort of riffing on the story, getting into the nitty-gritty. Uh, we, we'd love to hear if you like this approach. Um, we, we'll always do the topical ones that we've done before, but we thought maybe we would do a series where we just get deep into a passage. So if you think this was valuable and something we should keep doing or keep trying, uh, please let us know. We would love to hear from you. Mm-hmm.